Hello and welcome to the Into the Desert podcast, the podcast where we talk to inspiring people and hear their stories of motivation, courage, drive, productivity, and how their environment dictated their performance. Today's guest is the founder at Better Happy, an organization who creates and delivers solutions that enable businesses to sustain high levels of health, motivation, and performance without burnout amongst their people. Mike Jones, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Freddie. Thank you for having me. We'd love to hear a bit about your company to start off with. Can you give us a bit of a background, if that's okay? Yeah, so uh, Better Happy, we work with a variety of different businesses, large and small businesses, and we help them basically become a happier place to work so that that leads to high levels of productivity, but really high levels of employee retention. Uh, and reduced absence and lots of other benefits as well. And the, the, the key way that we do that is by empowering and training leaders and managers in, in, in three key tenants. So um, engagement, which is another word for motivation, health and performance without burnout. That's our kind of th- key three, if you'd like to call it that. And it came about because I my first business was a gym. I used to own a gym. And I noticed I was working with lots of professionals and I noticed that lots of them were struggling at work, that work was coming as a negative. And I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do some corporate workshops whilst I had the gym, helping people with health and well-being. And I basically just recognized that there was more positive impact to be made by helping businesses out. Um, so I decided as we went into COVID that I wanted to focus more on working with businesses. So I sold the gym and went put all my eggs in the basket of of working with corporates. And then the story before that is that I was in the army. Uh, I I was unhappy in the army. I came out of the army after five years and back-to-back tours of Afghanistan. So I'd spent a kind of year in Afghan. Um, I didn't know what to do in my life. I kind of came out, felt a bit unfulfilled. So I decided to go traveling, jumped on a one-way ticket to Thailand and didn't come back for almost three years and during that time I lived on monasteries I studied Buddhism I read a book called The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama which kind of like completely changed my 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 viewpoint on life and basically that experience changed my understanding of the meaning of life and and what happiness is and basically made me want to focus on helping people so that's what kind of kick-started my my interest in business that's really interesting it's quite Jay Shetty-esque, minus, uh, minus the, the, the army piece. Um, but it's really cool to hear sort of the origin of where your, your passion for people and helping people came from. So in, in 2022, uh, what are the biggest trends you've seen in management positions and, and the struggles they've been facing? Is there something that's really prevalent that you, that you can pinpoint? Well, there's, there's data coming out now. There's always data coming out, isn't there? But there's data coming out to suggest that, uh, I think it came from Slack actually, that the manager burnout, for example, is at a record-breaking high level. So it's, it's reported at 43% in 2022. So if you're the average business, 43% of your managers are so burnt out that they're willing to report it. And then if you understand burnout, you understand that you've got kind of like pre-burnout, which people won't report, and you've also got people that don't want to talk about the fact that they're suffering with it. So the the 43% number is probably an underestimate, but we know that there's lots of managers burning out. And we know that another interesting piece of data that came out was from Gallup, who are like the kind of industry leaders on on people metrics and, and business data. And they do like the global state of the workforce. And in 2022, they reported 
employee engagement levels around the world. And UK, the UK came in as one of the lowest in the world at 9%. So if that's, obviously they haven't surveyed every single person in the UK, but it's, if that's an accurate representation of the wider of the wider workforce, that means that 91% of people at work don't actually like being there. They're just there to pay the bills. And uh, that's a big problem because if people aren't happy at work and if managers are burnt out at work, then our businesses are going to struggle with employee retention and employee attraction and productivity. And those are the issues that we're seeing throughout the UK. Businesses struggling to um, struggling with productivity, struggling with employee retention, struggling to attract employees. So this is the kind of these are the common themes and I think they've been problems for a long time. So obviously we'll, we'll read into this and go, it's because of COVID, it's because of remote working, it's because of the cost of living crisis. But the truth is, you know, these things have been going on for a very long time, years and years and years. And it all stems from the industrial revolution, really, and how things have changed since then. But I think now they're, they're at a point where they're really at, at the forefront of businesses' minds because of a variety of things that have changed have meant that businesses have to focus on this now. They don't really have a choice. Mm. And at the same time as we're talking about this, you know, the UK or, or England certainly are, are trialling the four-day work week in, in sort of a, maybe 100 companies, I think I read. Um, mm. so, so they're trying to increase productivity by reducing the amount of time people are at work. They're trying to increase the efficiency. How do you think that will affect people's burnout rates? Do you think it's adding too much pressure to them or do you think there's some, some benefits to it? I think there's lots of benefits to it because it's it shows that we're having a shift towards being um, effective rather than being busy. Because if you, it's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it, that we have, if we, if, we, if we went back in time 50 years and we think about technology and the way that technology has changed the way that we worked over that last 50 years, it's probably increased the speed in which we can get stuff done at least a hundred times. I don't think that's an underestimate. You know, if you think about just, just not long, probably 50 years ago, if you wanted to book a meeting, if you and I want to have this conversation now, we'd have to, we'd have to arrange to be in Dubai together. Or we'd have to book flights. We'd have to cross each other's diaries. We'd have to phone each other. We'd have to get a recording studio to come and record this. So uh, it, the, the speed in which things can be done now has increased a hundredfold, hasn't it at least, but, but we still work the same kind of hours, which is which is strange. And I think this is a the kind of um, the outcome of the industrial revolution period, which is where people were just factory workers and we just needed as much uh, labor out of people as possible. So it shows a nice shift that businesses are, uh, are starting to think about shifting people away from just being pure labor, manual labor output machines to being mm. um, to being effective workers. So I think the four-day work week is a positive sign. I think for some businesses it's going to work better than others. Um, but 100%, I actually think it's a positive. In regards to your question, will it put too much pressure on people? I think that's a really important question to ask because a lot of the reason that people burn out of work isn't because they've got too many working hours. It's because they haven't got the skill set or they haven't developed the mindset to create a positive relationship with their work. So it's normally your best workers that will burn out. You push them into a management position and they're great at what they do. So they, they naturally get filtered up into the management position. But what would you look for in your company to, what would you look for, what kind of traits would you look for in a, an employee to make them, to kind of position them as a manager or to fill them into team leader or management role? What would you be looking out for? What would you recognize? Oh, well, I want them to be, you know, thinking on their, on their feet ingenuity yeah. and creativity but also 
being you know at the forefront of what's going on, I want them to know and communicate well, um, and to and to acknowledge how other people are coping as well. I think that's a massive part of it. Yeah. So very, you want somebody that kind of knows the business, is intuitive. They they they're, they're at the forefront of it. They, they're good with people. Um, what about their work ethic? Yeah. So I'd want them to be obviously. Uh, a good work ethic is important, but also I would respect them a lot if they are in line with the mission and have a passion for what we're trying to do. Um, but also I'd want them to respect themselves enough to know that they need to have work-life harmony. Yeah. Um, so I think that if people, there's a misconception that people think the four-day work week is to do with laziness or not wanting to get work done. But actually, I think these people almost taking the reins and saying actually I can get the same amount of work done in four days I am productive mm. and actually my mental health is more important than ever yeah um, and you're you're being very forward thinking there but, but 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 you know when you when business is busy what and there's lots of things going on the kind of traits that businesses tend to notice and people that get them pushed into management positions and things that you just said so kind of being at the forefront of the business being passionate about the business which is in, implied in what you said having a hard work ethic um, because when you, before you get to a management or leadership position, this is a really important thing to understand. Your time's kind of managed for you before a management or leadership position. You're kind of given set working hours, you get paid for those set working hours, and within those set working hours, you're given a, essentially given a list of tasks of, of things to do within that time. So you, you recognize the people that are good team players, that, that care about other people, that care about the business, and, and, that, and that work hard within that time. Now, once you step into a leadership or management position, all of those traits that have served you very well can actually start to go against you. And whether you're doing a four-day work week or a five-day work week, the, the, the same thing is true. And this is what businesses need to understand. And that is that by pushing your best people into a management or leadership position, but not developing them, you might be, and you probably are, setting a lot of them up to fail because they care about the business, which means they're going to want to get results. Okay, and if they and that means that if there's things left undone, even if they're only doing a four day work week, they're going to worry about that when they go home, because that's the nature of this person. That's why you promote them. They actually care. They're not the kind of person that just goes computers off. I don't give a give a, you know, give a damn anymore. Say so they care about the company. They tend to be caring people and care for others because people that aren't good team players cause issues, which means that if they do need to address any behaviors in their team, that's difficult for them because they just want to get on with everybody. They want to do a good job. So this is probably the most important issue that, that, that I think doesn't dissipate with the four day work week. And that is that they want to say yes to everything or to too much. And one, one of the key skills as a manager or as, as a people leader is to be able to say no to things is to be able to say, well, all of those things are important, but we're going to prioritize these three. And I would say that's probably one of the most difficult things that managers and leaders have to kind of learn and that don't get supported with. So if I take Freddie, who's like an absolutely amazing, and I put him into like the leadership position, and all of a sudden he's got like 10,000 things he could be doing, and he says yes to all of them, well, he's gonna to start to kind of drown and he's gonna to try to make up for that by working weekends, by working when he goes home. He's gonna get stressed about the fact that he's not being able to kind of do all the things that he said he was gonna do. So. My, my point is, my long-winded answer to your question is, is that I think the four-week work week is good, but unless you're developing and supporting your people to be able to 
go about that four four day work week in the right way, I think you're still going to have burnout, stress, and poor mental health and poor physical health. Well, going back to the the burnout piece there, how can you see burnout coming in someone? Do you have a way of you know helping managers tell when when someone they're working with is burning out or about to burn out? It's difficult to see. Um, because often the people that are getting burnout are the ones that don't want to admit it. I went through burnout in my first business because I just, I didn't, I made all of those mistakes I just talked about. I tried to work all the time. I tried to do too much. Um, I, I was so passionate about what I was doing that I just kind of put myself on the back burner, which I now see as being a very, uh, a bad mistake. What I would say is what's interesting is that the, what you will probably see is, um, a person that is most likely to suffer from burnout as a person that's highly engaged. So they're like passionate, motivated, positive, like good ideas, always positive, always open to new things, always just a, just a positive life force. You know what I mean? You know, you've worked with people and probably yourself, you know, you've worked with people that like that and they stand out because the truth is most people aren't engaged. Most people are doing what's required of them to get paid. So what you will see before they kind of go to full burnout is you'll start to see that passion dissipate and they might, start to seem unhappy because it makes it affects their mental health a person that's highly engaged getting burnt out it's a vicious cycle because they want to be highly engaged so when they start being able to when they stop being able to be as motivated as they were when they start getting tired when they start doubting themselves you'll start to notice that their spark kind of goes but the truth is is that they still don't recognize what's happening most of the time mm. well yeah absolutely it's it's super interesting so so for you Trying to help people understand the the feeling of burnout coming is one of the key things, right? So, actually being aware of yourself is. Would you say that's one of the best things you can you can learn as as a manager or someone coming up into management? Yeah. So you ask him from the perspective of the person suffering burnout. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I I can talk from personal experience. Yeah, definitely self awareness and the. From my experience with it, I think it really, when I look back, I think it went on for almost a year before I kind of got to the point where I was like, I just, I just got, I've got nothing left anymore. Um, and it was a really difficult phase for me. I, 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 it took me to depression. Mm, my camera gone. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, for me, it took me to, it basically took me to depression and the, and the strange thing is, is that it went on for a long time before I understood, started to understand what it was or kind of accept it. So I think as soon as you start to feel tired, as soon as you start to lose your positivity, as soon as you start to recognize that you aren't as confident in yourself and aren't as clear on your vision anymore, that's when you're starting to get burnt out. Now, of course, you can have days where you feel like that. I think once that's going on for a week, once you're starting to not look forward to going to work on Monday, when it's something that you used to love, that's when it's like something's going wrong here. And we need to, we, we need to either nip it in the bud early and do something about it. Because if it carries on for a long time, the truth is you're, you're going to burn out, which means you're not going to be able to carry on in this position because it's very difficult to recover from. It takes time. Okay, so if you so say you've you've caught it before it's happened to you, what's something you can do, or you know, a couple of things you can do to try and mitigate burnout coming in at me? So, 
it it all comes down to the mindset it comes down to your relationship with your with, with your work and your relationship with yourself and it's it's being really honest about that so it's very common amongst business owners because business business owners are very similar to managers you know they're very passionate about what they do they're very passionate about the goal that they're trying to achieve which means that they do this thing where they put themselves below the business or the work in the order of priorities. And that's, that's a problem because it's, it's always going to lead to disaster. It's always going to lead to burnout. It's always going to lead to your, uh, at a bare minimum dropping off on your levels of uh, productivity and efficiency. So um, I think recognizing that it's happening is, is essential. Um, and then it's, having conversations with people like ask, speaking to people that you look up to or that you admire because they're probably going to they probably know what you're doing and know it's stupid so that's that's always a, a key win but really it's you know if you just wanted to help yourself and one of the things that i talk to managers about in our workshops and leaders is adapt the concept of being sensibly selfish and you know if you if you are willingly sacrificing yourself on uh, over and over and over again, that's going to lead to issues. You know, f forget business for a moment. Imagine you're a parent. Okay, I want to be. I sacrifice myself for my children because they're more important than me, and I and I and I and I, and I, and I love them. Okay, but if we do that in the long run, if you do that for months, maybe years, where you just don't look after yourself and you're constantly burning yourself to the ground to look after your children and put them first what's the outcome of that going to be? And it's going to be that you're not the best version of yourself. You're not as happy as you want to be. You're not as healthy as you want to be. You haven't got as much energy as you'd like to have. And in the long run, it's going to potentially lead to you not living as long as you could could, could live. So by, by working too hard or putting things above you in the priority list, you're actually adopting a very short term strategy, which is going to lead to you not being able to provide for the things that you provide for that you that you care about the most. So you've got to be sensibly selfish. And you know, it's the 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 age older age of you've got to focus on enjoying the journey as much as achieving the goal or getting to the destination. That's a that's a massive learning curve. Absolutely, absolutely. It really resonates, doesn't it? Um, I'd love to ask you as a business owner, you know, someone that's very busy, you've got a lot, lot to juggle. Um, in better happy what are your tips of being productive for you so not so much for you know for, for managers who you teach now but for yourself how do you how do you build and maintain your productivity i try to plan i try to plan my weeks and i think not too perfectly but just a little bit of planning goes a long way so just looking at your week and looking at what am i going to do when i Obviously, I make sure that I prioritize my health. So I always start my day with a walk. Very rarely does that get sacrificed. I try to prioritize 10,000 steps a day. I try to give myself permission to go to the gym every day as well, when, when possible. So sometimes that slips, but most of the time it doesn't. Um, I know probably the biggest thing is I know my sleep. I understand my sleep and genetics. And I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty disciplined with making sure that my sleep is always you know i'm always going to sleep within half an hour at the same time i'm always waking up within half an hour at the same time sometimes that drops and i go we've just been away this weekend so i'm saying that now but because we've been away this weekend it's off a little bit at the moment but i'm aware of that um i make sure that i i make i make sure i eat i, I eat good food 
you know, all the basic things, there's nothing, there's no rocket science here. But I suppose in regards to actually the approach to work, I try to pick three things that I want to get done every day. So I'm, when I start my day, I've learned this the, the hard way as well. I'm like, what's my top three things that I want to get achieved today? And I've actually got a planner that, I, that we take business owners and um, uh, managers through. So I look at the day, I'm like, what's the, if, if I only achieve three things today, what, what, could, what would I like them to be? instead of writing down 50 things. Now, if I get those three things done and I wanna do more, then fantastic. But if I only get those three things done, I still feel like something's been achieved in my day and I, it stops my day getting hijacked where I just waste my time being reactive, responding to emails because that's very easy to slip into. So when I've got these kind of like top three, they kind of gravitate me towards making progress. And another thing that really does need to be mentioned is being around the right people and kind of finding your tribe and, and you and I are both members of something called Dent and that's, that's worth its weight in gold for me because being around like-minded people kind of really charges your battery and really keeps you going and, and, and prevents a lot of issues. So I'd say that's vital as well. I think that's a really, really interesting answer. And actually I, I resonate with all of it, um, especially sleep. We're doing a lot with sleep at the moment with our, with our business, you know, trying to understand how we can build the best environment to support sleep and sleep is something that we don't, we don't put enough time and effort into, but for me, um, yeah, I completely agree. My productivity drops massively if I don't, if I'm not aware of my sleep, if I, mm -hmm. if I lose sleep, um, or of course, if you sleep too much, it's the exact same effect as sleeping not enough because you've lost your time. You're probably, um, you're probably sluggish. Um, and then that, that idea of putting your, your fitness first or your health first, that for me includes, you know, the nutrition as well as the exercise and sleep. And then I love what you said about being proactive. So that list and actually going forward and building your own day out rather than just being reactive and doing what other people ask of you. I think that, yeah, that's a, ma that's a massive answer and I really, really um, yeah. resonate with all of it. Um, I wanna move on to uh, tips for delegation. So uh, how, how, do you, how do you feel that people should delegate? You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of noise around high value tasks and what you should keep as your, your own, as a business owner. But you know, people, people are here to help. We, we have, you know, uh, people in the business or um, remote help how do you define something that is for you to do versus something you can delegate and then how do you go about delegating i heard something recently that that kind of summed this up for me as oh yeah i do that uh and i it might have been dan actually it might have been dan Precy from dan um or it might have been somebody else but they basically said that when you've got an entrepreneurial or a kind of leadership mindset a lot of the time what you're what your kind of value is, is to ideate, so design and implement solutions and then, and then monitor them or quality control them. And that's kind of what works well for me. I like to design the things. I like to make sure that it's kind of like a lot of thoughts gone into them. I like to implement them. So I like to, I don't just want to design it and then give it to somebody else. I want to implement it and actually figure out, is this thing working? Um, are people responding well to this? You know, what, how do we, how do we adapt this thing to, to what the customer feedback is? And then once I've done that, what I notice is after a certain period, I start to naturally feel like, okay, this isn't, this is kind of set to a decent enough standard now, and now it needs to be delegated. And I try to implement that with all areas of the business, whether that's the physical delivery or whether that's a system that we're using to make something happen. It's like design it, implement it, quality and then once once you've implemented it and got the feedback then it's time to pass it on and just quality control that's what works for me um i'm sure other people 
have different approaches. I'm sure other people are like just get the person that knows that thing and get them doing it straight away. Um, I can be a bit of a perfectionist, but um, so I do like to be involved in too much, and that's a, that's a flaw of mine. But um, yeah, design, implement, quality control. And I think once you get to quality control, that's when it's like, okay, you, this thing's been implemented. It's working well. You've got feedback. Now let somebody else take over. Yeah, amazing. I think yeah, the art of delegation, there's a lot of uh, books and, and videos you can watch on it, but it's actually something that's a lot harder. It's a lot harder uh, said than done, isn't it? And I think it's always important to understand that when you delegate, ultimately it's your responsibility still. So if something goes wrong yeah. when you delegated it, it's still down to your communication, right? I think that's something that people need to remember. Yeah, and whenever something goes wrong, but the first thing you should ask is, what 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 could I have done to reduce this going wrong? What what can I do? And that's something I learned from Buddhism. You know, you, you, we we're very we're very quick to point to the splinter in somebody else's eye when we've got a kind of a plank sticking out of our own. So yeah, it's it's a very powerful thing to look mm -hmm. inward and. Um, not blame other people. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster if it comes to leading the team or trying to delegate. You're just always going to be, you're always going to be stuck if you're trying to blame stuff on, on others. Totally agree. And that no blame, no blame culture is, uh, is quite powerful. I want to jump towards uh, the main core of the, the podcast. So the, the podcast is called Into the Desert because it's about making a change, right? So you've already spoken about your sort of origin story. So um, you're in the army, you went traveling, studied Buddhism, um, and then you started a business, and then COVID happened and you started another business. I really want to talk to you about when you decided the time was right to make that change. So I think, you know, we understood the earlier change from the army into traveling and, and Buddhism, but the, the, the change from the gym into Better Happy, I think is very important, very interesting. So for you, what happened for you to make that change or to understand and become aware that it was time to make a change? So what what made me shift from the gym to better happy? What kind of led to that shift? Yeah, because ultimately um, it's a similar similar topic, right? You're still talking about people's uh, well being, albeit yeah. in a different way from physical to mental. Although uh, obviously the gym and CrossFit is very very much both. But yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So when I I'll start just give you a little bit of background to the gym and then show you how that jumped over. So so when I when I when I travelled and I I kind of felt this sense of being unfulfilled and it I wasn't deeply unhappy and I remember walking to I was living in Perth and it's Perth's a beautiful city in Australia and I remember I got out of the army I I had no stress I had money in the bank I had a job in on a rooftop bar in the city just easy kind of very laid back life and after a few years in the army that's that's a it's a pretty big shift so I remember thinking to myself I was walking to work one day through Perth train station and thinking to myself life life's been pretty good to me really like i'm here in australia I've, I've i can get a visa to go traveling i've been born in a country where we've got money and i remember thinking to myself life couldn't be much better really i couldn't have been much more fortunate but i also remember thinking to myself but i feel like something's missing even though i've got all these things i've had the career i've got the money i feel like i'm I'm a little bit unhappy still. And I, like I said, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't miserable. I was gen generally, generally did feel happy, but I felt like something was missing. And I remember thinking, is there just something wrong with me? You know, it's just, am I just a bit of a miserable guy? <laughs> is, am, I, am I just never going to be satisfied with all the wonderful things that life throws my way? Uh, 
and it was like that was a genuine conversation I was having in my head. And I was walking through Perth train station, and then in the in the train station, there's a bookshop with a glass window, and they had sometimes when they're doing a book promo, they just put the same book over and over again, don't they? So you can just see it all plastered through the window. And I saw this face who I didn't know at the time, who I know now to be the Dalai Lama. Uh, and on the front of this book was the title, The Art of Happiness. So it, there's about 50 copy of it, copies of it in the window. So I'm like, I'm having this internal dialogue around what's, you know, why, why don't I know how to be happy? And then I look into the window and there's this Tibetan monk looking at me with the title, The Art of Happiness. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if I don't read that right now, I've got no excuses, have I? <laughs> so, and I hadn't read, I hadn't been reading for years. I've read a couple of books when I was in the army, you know, about Afghan and different things like that, but I hadn't really been into a reading habit for a long time. And so I read that book, I bought that book and read, read it in two days because I just couldn't put it down. And without giving a deep summary of the book, it basically is the science of being happy and the psychology of being happy. And I remember reading it and thinking, why on earth have we not been taught this in school? You know, this is it. This is what we all need to know. We all want to be happy. And this is like, well, this is what leads to happiness. This is what leads away from happiness. This is how little things like holding a grudge against people makes you suffer, not them. And all, all of these, all of these things. But one of the key messages in there was is that, you know, true happiness is achieved by, um, by helping other people. That was one of the key messages in it, that's in there. You're never going to, you'll never find any deep, feeling of satisfaction in life unless you find ways to help others. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So from that moment onwards, I had a radical change in my life. I started volunteering when I lived in Australia. I stopped drinking. I, 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 I did. I ended up traveling to monasteries and st really studying Buddhism deeply, meditation, silent retreats, or go, going deep into the, down, the, down the Buddhist rabbit, rabbit hole. So then I came back to the UK and my... <laughs> My, you know, when you look at like developing business plans, you talk about being specific and finding the market niche and all of this stuff. And my, my business plan was I want to help people be happier. <laughs> and I'd never been very happy at school. So I kind of had this entrepreneurial mindset of, you know, breaking the norm and going against going against the normal way of doing things and coming up with ideas. So I knew I knew business was the way forwards. Um, and then I had the opportunity to open the gym and there's no there's no business acumen in my family there's no entrepreneurialism in my family they're all workers they're all service for police and i think my dad works in finance you know so as, as non-business as you can imagine so i didn't really have any uh support or guidance so i just kind of the gym i had an opportunity for the gym because there was a guy i knew that had a spare unit and he was like oh do you want to do something with this i was like yeah i could try a gym so like no knowledge whatsoever opened the gym and it grew, it did, did really well over four to five years. It, it, we grew a team of five. It was turning over 200, 200, over 200 grand a year, which isn't bad for a little startup. Um, but what happened was as probably about year three, year four, I was like, I knew he was helping people, it was making a big difference in people's lives, but it wasn't truly aligned to my, to my, to the mission that I'd come up with. And the mission that I'd kind of come up with from, from reading the art of happiness was more philosophical. It was, it was having a wider impact, but a bit more like what Jay Shetty does. So I'd seen the Jay Shetty stuff. So having this wider impact and, and spreading this message, I didn't just want to get people fit. I wanted to help lots of people be, be healthier and happier in life because I believe that happy people contribute to the world and happy people take from it. And that, if we can make more people happy in countries like the UK, where we've got money and, and freedom and opportunity, then we could probably solve most of the world's pro problems and, and our own problems as well, because 
you know, if, if we all knew how to be a bit happier, we'd probably half the amount of strain that's on the NHS. So it, I know it's a bit I- idealistic, but that's that's the kind of vision that I'd created from from studying the Dalai Lama. So yeah, the the, the gym was very positive, very enjoyable. I, obviously, I was burning myself out, which wasn't good. So I was learning that lesson <laughs> fast and hard. Uh, but ultimately, it wasn't aligned to my vision. And I think that's the the thing that made me that made me consider the shift. And when I started doing the corporate stuff, which kind of, I guess, kind of feels like it was uh, a sign from the universe, I, I felt a lot more sense of meaning and purpose in that than I did in the gym. And then COVID came along and I was like, well, perhaps this is the right time to, to do this, to, to, to kind of have, have an out from the gym and focus more on focus more on the wider picture, which is making a difference through businesses. What makes complete sense, isn't it? It's completely aligned. And that's, I guess, where the, the name Better Happy came from, because that's your, your ultimate mission. And you found it all those years ago in, in Perth in the bookstore. It's amazing. It's a really, really cool story. Um, I, I want to touch on a bit around how your environment dictates your performance. So, you know, we can talk about how an office or a home dictates your performance, but I'd like to go back to the monastery. I think we, we have to, you know, if you're doing all this traveling and you felt like you're in a, a very metropolitan city in Perth, you know, there's money there is a very comfortable lifestyle and then going to the monasteries you actually you actually you know you you try to find an environment that would change your performance or change your outlook um so how do you feel that your environment dictates your performance from from then onwards i mean we could talk for we could have talked for the whole hour about environment because it's it's everything isn't it to me it's everything and I wanted to start talking about it when you were talking about sleep because I was like, well, well, we, we, we should get onto the topic of, of, of environment here, but I didn't want to hijack your, your stream of thought. But <laughs> <laughs> environment is everything. And this is why I'm interested in businesses because where does, where does a living, where does a, your average adult spend most of their life? Well, significant proportion of it is at work. So if that's an environment that's positive, then they're going, that's going to positively impact their lives and their ability to be the best version of themselves. Whereas if that environment's coming as a negative, it's going to, it's going to have a negative impact on them. And the, and as we know, 9% of people are engaged at work. Well, that means that in theory, for most people work as a negative environment. So that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And I actually see it as an opportunity because I think the workplace is the perfect environment to give you the things that a human needs to be healthy and happy that, that we don't get anymore. So oh, I'm just trying to think of coming in at the right level here. Uh, going into environment, I, I think I can't talk about it unless we start big picture. And that is for 200,000 years, the Homo sapiens has been evolving, which is our brand of human, you know, but we've been evolving for millions of years. But us, like the, the bodies that we're in now have been, this brand of human being has, has, has been evolving for about 200,000 years. And for 190,000 of those years, give or take some, we were hunter gatherers. And life was tough when we were hunter gatherers let's not paint it in a roast into glasses but an interesting thing is that all of the things that we need to be healthy were, were provided by life they were a necessity okay so you had to work with others in a meaningful way towards a meaningful goal which was survival you had to move every day you had to eat whole foods because you, that's all that was available to you you didn't have a choice you had to sleep at night time because there was no artificial lighting to, to, to stimulate your brain to think that it's not nighttime. So 
for most of for for ninety five percent of our time on this planet, we haven't had to think about being healthy because it's it's happened naturally. And then that's slowly changed over time. So if you think about big changes, we had the factory bell when people were working at factories. So that was a big change in sleep because for for the first time ever, people on mass were being taken out of their natural sleeping routine. So that that had an impact. And then you've got artificial lighting, which has obviously had had a big impact as well. And then we had phones and other things. But then what's happened in the in our lifetime, Freddie, is these changes haven't just sped up a little bit. They've gone on like this J curve. They've got they've gone like they've absolutely shot up. And um, the the things that we've got now that are affecting our our ability to be healthy, the environment in which we live now actively works against us when it comes to when it comes to our health. It actively works against us. So we need to know how to kind of hack and deal with that uh, because if we don't consciously create the right environment today, we're going to live in an environment that's bad for us. That's what's going to happen. And that's what we're seeing all around us. The reason that so many people are struggling with their health physically and mentally isn't because everybody got lazy and everybody decided they just want to not look after themselves. It's because everybody's been dropped into this new environment that without conscious design will work against you. And that's something that's got to really be thought about and considered, but it's also a huge opportunity because you know, that, that, that paints the lives that we live now as negative because we've got mobile phones, we've got, lights in our houses we've got entertainment um but we've also got the opportunity to do exactly what we want with our lives and to be as healthy as humans have ever been but that's only going to happen by design it won't happen on accident uh, that's i mean a really really interesting point there um you know i completely agree that uh, your environment dictates a lot of what we do and, and and how we feel and um you know when we talk about it in terms of like the corporate world i completely agree that you know people spend so much time in their offices and they don't think about how it's impacting them um but there's also that that combination with culture isn't there uh, i know a lot of what you do is to do with company and corporate culture and i think that the environment is the foundation the physical environment is the foundation and to build on top of that is a culture that allows for people to then use that foundation of a good uh, environment to benefit others and benefit that company um, so how do you build on top of a foundation, a physical foundation in an, in an office with a company culture that is going to allow people to accelerate their achievements? How, how do you help companies to do that? So it's thinking back to the evolutionary mind again. So, so for, for 95% of human existence, what have humans been doing? They've been living together and working together in small tribes. To do what? To survive, to work, to, to work together towards this meaningful goal of making life less difficult and being able to survive. And that, make, that makes people feel good. And if you, if you watch sports, for example, you see when a team comes together and they, and they work towards a goal, it's, it, it, it's addictive. It makes you feel good and they love it because it, they're working towards a meaningful goal. So the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? When it comes to business, it's like, okay, well, how can we replicate that? What, 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 what are humans looking for? What makes them feel good? working together towards a meaningful goal. So has your business got a clear vision? Has it got a clear mission? Is it making positive change in the world? If not, how can you make it do that? The truth is most businesses are making a positive change in the world. Even if you're a, a cleaning company, you're, you're making a positive change in the world. You're, 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 you're making nicer spaces for people. You're, you're enabling people to work. So most businesses, I, I can't think of any or, or many at all that don't make a positive impact, maybe weapon manufacturers, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> 
and I'm sure you could even argue to an extent that they are, but um, it's being really clear on what the strategy is and being really clear on what the vision and the mission is. And then that, that filters down again then. So, okay, so we've got a clear vision and we've got a clear mission. Is that enough to make my teams happy and to bring people together in this kind of positive culture? Well, no, because what could happen is we could not let them be involved in that or not feel like they're, that they're contributing to that. So then we have to link their work to the, to the vision and the mission. And we have to give them the opportunity to feel like they're contributing meaningfully. So if I gave Freddie a list of tasks and said, get on with that, it's going to help us achieve A, B and C, you're, you're not going to feel like, you're not going to feel great about that. Whereas if I said to Freddie, Freddie, we're trying to achieve this, this here's our vision, our mission, these are the things we're trying to achieve um, in our department here, we think we can contribute to that by doing this, this and this. What are your thoughts? What are your ideas? By getting people to contribute to the bigger picture, you have a massive positive impact on engagement levels and you make them feel like they're, they're contributing meaningfully and you make them feel like they're part of that, of the tribe. Um, so one of the key things that we see, cause I've surveyed teams, hundreds of teams now, and I, I do an engagement survey with them and they're always the lowest thing across, doesn't matter what size the business is or what the industry is, it's always the lowest one. Uh, and this is employees feeling listened to and involved early. So, that's always the lowest score and that's the biggest win that most businesses could could implement to create a better culture and that is instead of just telling people what to do give them big picture objectives and ask them what they think you should do and that will make a huge difference um, to how they feel and how positive they feel about work and how engaged they are that, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because everyone wants to feel relevant all the time. That's what exactly. you know, humans in this day and age are looking for. They're trying to become relevant, whether it's through social media or work or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I completely agree. If you're brought in, no matter what level you are, if you're brought in to a decision-making process early, you feel that re relevance. You're actually on board with the mission from day one. You're going to go further, yep. aren't you? Um, I'd love to move it on to your own environment. So for those that are just listening, Mike has got a very nice background. He's got Better Happy on the Wall. Uh, we've got like a very clean, fresh environment. We've got some what look to be quotes, maybe your favourite books. How do you like to work, Mike? How do you keep your environment to you know to optimise your performance? I'm an aggressive minimalist. <laughs> this is probably from nice. the army. <laughs> this is probably from the army and probably from uh, my time in monasteries. Something I learned in the monasteries that 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 really resonated with me is that possessions weigh you down. Like the more possessions you have, the more weight you, you carry. And, you know, monks are the, take this to the extreme. They have one set of clothing, so they don't have to think about that. And they have one bowl, which they drink from and eat from. And that sounds like well, maybe some of us hear that and go, that, that sounds terrible, but actually they, they don't have to make the amount of decisions that we have to make. So by, by minimalizing my, the things that are around me, I think I reduced the amount of decisions I have to make because we all get decision fatigue. And I also love efficiency. So I like to try and remove as many menial tasks as possible. And I, whether that's digitally or physically, um, like when I, I try to, I don't always do this, but I try to like have my clothes ready for my dog walk at the side of my bed. So when I wake up in the morning, it's like, it's there. I put it on and I walk out the door because I know if I've got to start finding clothes and going through the cupboards and stuff, it's going to slow me down and it's going to take brain power and it's going to put me off my, it's going to put me off my sway. So I just try to keep my environment really minimal. Uh, and I try to do it, make things as efficient as possible so that I don't have to make as many decisions, um, 
make more decisions than what I should. And once I've done something, I really like to systemize as well. So all right, that thing's working now. Here's a little guide. Put that out there. So when we had the gym, little things like um, we had a TV. We had TV screens that put, showed the workouts on. So I, I, I'm like, right, we've done that enough times now. So I just wrote a detailed step-by-step -step instruction below the TV of how to set the screen up so it can work. And it, and it, it, what you're doing is you're minimalizing the amount of time that you might spend telling people to do the same thing over and over again. So keeping things minimal, keeping things simple, systemizing where possible, that tends to work for me. It sounds that, you know, there's a lot of atomic habits in there and, and it resonates with, it might've been Steve Jobs who, who just wore the same thing again and again, because it just took away brain power of having to choose what to wear even. I own one extreme. pair of jeans. I own four t-shirts, three shirts. I've got five jumpers at the moment. That's stressing me out. I had to buy a jumper on the weekend and all that's too many jumpers. <laughs> I don't want to have to think about, <laughs> I don't want to have to think about which one I'm wearing, but yeah, I, I, it's a big thing for me. It works really well. When I was in the army, I lived out, you know, you get used to living out of a backpack. When I traveled, um, I, I initially took a, this backpack forward me. And by the time I got home, it was about a 10th of the weight because I'm just, I don't need all this stuff. So yeah, I think that, I think that really, um, helps. And I like the minimalist design. I love the Japanese kind of, um, way of designing things. Yeah, absolutely. Japan is, uh, is fantastic. I want to move on to some quick thoughts, Mike. Uh, the first yep. one I'm going to ask you is for a, a book recommendation. Well, the, I think this isn't going to surprise you from the conversation, but I would highly recommend the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. That's a, a great one. That's a good. I'm not actually read, but yeah, I, I could see that coming a mile off. But a great recommendation. It's, it's written. It's co-authored with a Western uh, psychologist. I think it's Harold Cutler is his name. So it's it's not it's not about Buddhism. It doesn't really mention Buddhism to be honest. It's about how to live a happy life. Why we're struggling with a happy life in in the Western world. What we can do about it. Amazing. Um, next one I want to ask you is how do you stay motivated? So as a, a business owner, how do you maintain motivation to keep yourself going forward and actually growing and expanding and scaling the business? Uh, having being really connected to my vision and mission is the is the key. I think that's the ultimate energy source, because that's the thing that keeps you going even when you when you don't even when you're feeling down, I don't feel motivated all the time. Uh, so I'm not going to imply that I would or put off a false impression. I have days where I'm like, can I be bothered with this? Um, am I good enough to do it? all of the stuff that anybody else gets? So I think that's an important thing to understand that that never goes, I, you know, I think even the people we look up to like Dan Priestley, I think I've seen Ben Francis who owns Gymshark talking about it. You know, you, you always have self doubt and you always have rubbish days. So that's just part of being a human being. So I'm not motivated all the time, but if you've got a strong enough vision and mission or a strong enough why behind the things you're trying to achieve, I think you, that keeps you going. Um, and being around the right people because every business I've had two businesses and both of them, I've had periods where I've not been in a mentorship program or in a kind of um, mastermind slash um, networking group. And where I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm going to try and go alone for a bit and it just doesn't work. You just, maybe for some people it does, but for me, it doesn't, you start to feel lonely. You start to feel like you're the only person in the world that thinks like you do. You start to think that you may be mental or just got stupid ideas. But then if you find that right community of people, it's like, Oh, like there's loads of people that think like this and oh there's ways to do it and people have other people have been for these problems and and that's worth its weight in gold so again it comes down to that tribal part of being a human being we, we need to be around others 
Definitely, definitely. The next one I've got for you is uh, how often do you change or adapt your environment to suit your needs? It's, it sounds like a lot. You know, you like to systemize things and make them efficient. How often do you adapt your environment to suit your needs? Major changes, not not loads. Uh, I figured out, you know, I've spent a lot of time traveling to different places and, and going from like major environment changes. And I know that from doing that, it takes me a good three months once I'm in a new environment to kind of settle into a flow. So it takes time to kind of settle into a new environment, I've found. Uh, minor changes regularly. I'm always trying to like think about how can I make that thing more efficient? How can I remove a decision process? How can I, well, we've got a garage gym. So last week I was, we, we, we have two bikes in the garage and every time we train, we have to move them out. So I've got rid of them now <laughs> last week. I was like, look, this is slowing down the process. So I like, I do like to remove pointless, what feels like or pointless or non-productive things. I'm, I'm always looking at ways to do that because I think we're lazy as human beings and we are, and that's part of our evolution because if we were constantly doing stuff all the time and thinking all the time, we wouldn't be able to get much done. So, um, I'm constantly trying to tweak things to remove, um, unnecessary decisions or unnecessary effort. We just bought an air fryer, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we can use the air fryer whilst we're training so we can because we like to train and it's like well is there a way to make this work can we use the environment to support us well yeah we can we can we can put the food in set the timer and then by the time we finish training our food's cooked and ready to eat so little things like that i love trying to hack the environment regularly and i'd say at least once a quarter we go somewhere else we we, we we once a month we do something different but once a quarter we'll like try and go somewhere new to 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 re-inspire us because you can get stuck in your own environment as well and mm. you need you need freshness and innovation and inspiration so at least once a quarter laura and i we tend to um go on a long walk somewhere we haven't been before or do something new uh, in a new in a new environment i think that's really interesting and that's the reason they asked the question is because you know, change is so important for the human mind to keep it stimulated, to keep your innovation running and, and it benefits us in so many ways. But actually the point you said around taking time up to three months to settle into a new environment is also really important because, you know, we hear a lot about people saying, I'm going to make that change in, in a year. I'm going to make that change in, in two years. Everyone likes to push things back because maybe like you say, it's slightly easier, isn't it? But they forget that if you've got an issue now or you can see it on the horizon, if you make that change later on, the benefits will come later on as well. That almost makes yep. sense, but an environmental change which have a massive Im impact on you has that longer or slower burn time to actually imp improve what you're trying to achieve, I guess. So I think that's a really, really interesting point you brought up there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, um, the last quick one I've got for you is a quote that inspires you. If you've got one, you can share. No worries if not. If you've got one to, to mind, there's a, interesting. The, there's a book that uh, another book that I'm a massive fan of called essentialism by Greg McCohen. It's, it's an incredible read. Um, and I highly recommend it to anybody that's in a leadership position or in a management position or in a, or in a business position. Uh, and that book's just full of pure gold wisdom. And there's one quote in here in, in that book that he that he shares that I think is a kind of essential learning thing for, for anybody that's trying to make things happen. And that is, if you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will. 
Oh, I like it. So I think that helps us get into the right mindset of how am I building my days? What am I doing with my time? Because if you don't proactively plan for you, there's emails waiting to take your time. There's people waiting to take your time and you, and, and you'll, you go through life not moving towards the things that are important to you and you end up feeling unhealthy, unhappy, resentful because you didn't do the things that you wanted to do. So you, it comes back to that sensibly selfish thing, but you, you've got to prioritize your own life. Mm. That's awesome. Um, uh, the, I've got another question for you, which is, if you had a full free day, how would you spend it? Always a tough one. Well, you gave me a heads up about this and I was supposed to think. I had a full free day, how would I spend it? Um, I think the truth is I'd do exactly what I do now, which is try and move towards meaningful goals, um, try, and, try and make a difference because the truth is I do have free days. You know, I'm, I'm my own boss. I could, I could choose to not do these things, but I do because I know that when I get to the end of my life, and I look back whenever that might be, I'm not going to be proud of the holidays I went on or the the fun I had. I'm sure I'll look back with that with, with positivity, but I know ultimately the thing I'm going to be proud of is how much difference did I make? How much positive difference did I make? How much did I make use of the opportunities that were given to me? So I think I'd do the same stuff that I'm doing now. Nice, I like that. You look back at the, the legacy you built, right? Not the not the car you drove. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a that's a very good way to put it. You know, I look back now and I'm like, what things stand out in my in my mind? And there's loads of positives. But I, I volunteered for three months um, on a monastery in Nepal and teaching kids English, and that's like a massive standout thing to me. I I, I did a Big Brother program with a lad called Tim in Australia who um, didn't have a male kind of role model in his life so so I, I jumped on a volunteering program and spent lots of time with Tim and every weekend we used to go and do stuff and he's like an absolute legend now this this lad not because of me he's the legend anyway but it's something I'm proud of and when I had the gym I'm very proud of that and I used to volunteer and drive drive people around because the bus one of the bus services is closed so that's the kind of stuff I think that will really sit deep in your heart like how did you make a difference what how did you how how did you leave a kind of dent in the universe as Dan and Dan and Glenn would say? So yeah, I think that's, that's what, what our time needs to go into. And I think if we had, all of us had good levels of self-confidence, that's all any of us would do really. We'd enjoy ourselves, but we'd focus on making a difference. Mm, that's a great answer. I love that answer. Uh, and finally, do you have something, a question or an ask you can leave the audience with? Maybe a thought to ponder. What's, what's worse? Oh, I've got two. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I, can I, can I do two? Of course you can. Okay. So the number one is, are you happy? If not, what can you do to be happier? Simple question. And then my second one is, which leads on from that one, what's worse, trying something and failing or not trying it and staying where you are? 
deep. It's powerful. <laughs> There's Mark, it's been there an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, My pleasure. we'll speak to you soon. All the best of everything that's going on. Thanks for having me, Freddie. Good luck to you in the future.